E.E. O'Brien asked a very interesting question on Twitter today. What is it about your work that makes it unique? And I answered with my trademark tongue-in-cheekness. But it's actually a very interesting question, and I think it's something we should talk about on today's Project Shadow. Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, especially if you're reading my new book, Crucify My Love. And yeah, today I want to talk about what makes our work unique. And that may sound like a very trivial question, but I think it's tied up in a lot of things, including something that I know a lot of writers like myself get way too obsessed with, and that's finding our voice. So I think it's something worth taking the time to actually talk about and really dig into on today's episode. But before we get into all that, if you haven't already, please do take a moment to rate this podcast in whatever app you're listening to me on. It really does help out a lot. It tells the algorithms to share the podcast with more people, the more people that listen, the bigger the community. The bigger the community, the better the chance we get to talk to one another. And that is, after all, why I do this in the first place. So thank you to everyone who has already done that, and yeah, I, I, I can't thank you enough. Alrighty. Now, I suppose before we get started into all this, I need to take a moment to attack my favorite trope out there in the universe, that there is anything even remotely resembling original fiction. Because there isn't. There really isn't. Don't even try. Don't even pretend. Don't think that you're going to be the one that cracks it, because you're not. We won't. It's not going to happen. We don't have any original fiction. That's not what we do. And that may sound pessimistic. That may seem like I'm telling you that everything that you write is going to be derivative and nobody's going to care. And That's not what I'm saying at all. And you need to make sure you got that straight. What I'm saying is, the idea that the stories that we're telling are original, that they don't have antecedents, that nothing preceded them, that they're not born out of a collection of the various ideas and stories that we have loved as children, that we have been exposed to as adults, and that continue to, and that continue to give us joy over the years, is an illusion. You will... If you dig into your stories deep enough, on some level you will find what preceded it, what inspired it, where those ideas actually came from. And on the other hand, there are so many writers in so many countries and so many languages who have been telling stories for so many centuries. Someone, somewhere, has told the story that you think that you have originally come up with somewhere. Or a version of it. It may not be exactly the same, and you can pride yourself on your uniqueness if you want by saying, well, it's not exactly the same, therefore, I'm special. And if, you, if that makes you feel better, do it. Just do it. But it is an illusion. It is a lie that we tell ourselves so that we feel better. 
Originality is something to strive for, but it's in how we tell our stories and with the authenticity of the voice that we use. And now, that doesn't mean that you have to use your own voice as the narrative voice in the story that you're telling. Sometimes that's appropriate, and other times it's really not. I mean, Terry Pratchett made an entire career out of voicing narration in very interesting and fascinating ways. What's important for us to do is capture the spirit of the story that we're wanting to tell in a way that is different and distinct. And that's where everything comes about now, isn't it? Distinction is what we're actually seeking, and it's not uniqueness. Uniqueness, as I said before, is an illusion. It's something that we pretend exists. I created a whole bunch of characters when I was a child, and I thought that I had dreamed them up out of nowhere until I showed the work to a teacher of mine, and she asked me if I read the works of a particular writer. In this case, it was David Eddings. I had never heard of David Eddings, and I had never even seen a book by him before. And yet, somehow, I had basically come up with the plot of one of his trilogies. Yeah, on my own, without contamination or anything. Because we both like fantasy, we both had very similar inspirations, and that led us to compose very similar stories. Now, the names of the characters were different, but other than that, it was pretty much the same story in most of its major beats. And that's a lesson that I'm very happy that I learned early on in life, because it freed me to not feel constrained by the need to be original. Because surely there is a story out there somewhere with characters doing something similar to what I'm having my characters do now. But once you accept that liberation that that idea gives you, that it brings to you, then you have this wonderful ability to start playing with how you voice the work, how you describe the settings, how do you develop mood, how do you develop character and character arc, and how does all that work? See, you can make that your own. I could write a derivative version of Harry Potter. I could. And I mean that literally, like take all the plot beats, all of the characters, not changing anything. And it would not read anything like J.K. Rowling's story. Because I'm not British. I didn't grow up with the same circumstances that she did. I grew up in the United States, primarily in the South and in Maryland. And yeah. Oh, and by the way, Maryland, you're not in the South. You're below the Mason-Dixon line, but you're as Yankee as Yankee comes. <laughs> I had to explain that to a lot of people when I lived there because uh, Southern heritage is a problem in my country. It's kind of like a plague. But my version would read differently. And you can see this really clearly when you look at the Greeks. Many famous Greek writers wrote variant versions of very popular stories. But their versions are different. They're filtered through the lens of what that author wanted to tell at that time. And that's where their distinction came in, despite the lack of originality. Now, author voice is a problem. because. I think we have lionized this idea that 
every writer has a distinct voice to the point where I know for myself and a lot of authors that I've talked to over the years, we really have developed a cult of the voice where we're seeking and striving and working ever after to find our voice as a writer. Because there's some notion, some idea, some illusion that should we be able to find that voice, then we've made it. You see, the great writers all had a distinct voice that was uniquely their own. So if I can develop my own unique voice that is distinctly my own, then that means that I'm going to be a great writer. I may not be appreciated in my time, but how many writers were? That's not a very common thing throughout history. Maybe I can be one of those gems that gets discovered one day, or maybe some point in my life I will be discovered and everybody will see what a wonderful, unique voice I have and how that makes me special. Because I think a lot of us writers, I know for myself, began writing, began secreting ourselves away in our own imagination because of our shyness or because of our awkwardness around other people. See, I grew up in the country, and while I had friends at school, we lived so far apart from each other, they rarely, if ever, came over to play. We would talk to each other on the phone, but my friends, especially when I was a young child, were me, my dog, my cat. We would run around and have crazy adventures, and I found myself spending more and more time in my imagination because I didn't have a living, breathing person my age to have those self-same adventures with. And because of that, we're, I think, always striving to find approval and to find somebody to pat us on the head or pat us on the back and say that we're a good person, that we're deserving, that we're worthy. Because I don't know about you, but I can say from my own childhood, I didn't get a lot of that as a child. Now, my parents were loving, and I'm not saying that I grew up, you know, with neglect or anything like that, but my own peer group was absent for a large chunk of my life, and in those few places that we lived that I did have friends that lived not that far away, we didn't live there for all that long. It wasn't until we moved to Maryland that I started establishing friendships, and that was really hard, because I didn't have experience with it. I didn't know how to make friends by that point. There I am, nine years old, and I don't know how to make friends. But I had my imagination, and my imagination kept me strong. Now, I'm not telling you any of this so that you feel sorry for me, and I'm not telling you any of this because I'm judging you. Your life may or may not have been anything like mine. But that was my life experience and why I got so involved and wrapped up in my own imagination in the first place. I was probably six years old when I started drawing my own comics and not much older than that when I started writing my first stories. Because I learned that it was something that I could do and it was a fun way to play for me. It was only later that I realized that other people might want to read the stuff that I write, that the books that we read in school weren't just handed down from the hands of the gods and angels for us fully formed. But I've talked about that quite a bit in the past. 
And so be careful when you're seeking after your own voice for that thing that makes you unique, lest you overlook the good work that you're already doing. Now this, again, could just be my experience, but every setting that I write, every series that I write, sometimes even every book that I write, wants to have its own voice quite often. Usually every character that I write wants to have its own voice. So maybe I'm shorting myself in developing the audience that I should have because I'm not developing an overriding voice that will pervade these stories and get people to be fans of me. But I feel it's better to try to serve the story and let the story have the voicing that it wants to have. Now, what is voicing? We hear about voice all the time, and I know, at least in my experience, very few people talk about what it actually is. It's this amorphous divine thing that some of us have developed and some of us strive to develop. It's a thing that obviously we strive for because, well, everyone should have their own unique voice, right? I mean, that's what makes an author important. But what is a voice? Voice, in its simplest form, is how you tell the story. Not the way you tell the story, but how you tell the story. Yes, it can involve word use and exactly how often you use adverbs and adjectives and nouns and what your variety of common sentence structures are that you like to use. And yeah, it can incorporate your vocabulary and all of that. But those things are really of little importance. When we're talking about voice, an actual author's voice, what we're talking about is the how they tell a story. H.P. Lovecraft's voice is very obvious for anybody who's ever read him. He likes to talk about the ooey-gooey ooze of the world. He's misanthropic. He doesn't like people. And thus, his world, no matter how optimistic the characters may be, the narrator is always looking for the worst in every situation because they don't want to be let down. His innate pessimism overrides everything in the story and fills it with a voice that is quite uniquely his. Not to mention his own penchants and love for large words, cyclopean, gelatinous, and the like. That when it all gets put together, you can read a story and know if Lovecraft wrote it right away. This was my first experience with uh, August Derleth. I bought a book that purported to be H.P. Lovecraft stories, and I started reading them, and immediately I realized he couldn't have written these. The voice was different. And then I found out somebody else had finished a lot of his short stories and then said that he found them, because, yay, that's a good thing to do. That's a topic for another show. J.K. Rowling, on the other hand, has a very distinct voice. She, at least in the Harry Potter novels, is fascinated with wonder and amazement, and even in the darkest moments tries to find those little things that will highlight what's going on in a strange and exciting way. These are the things that really become the hallmarks of the Harry Potter books, and what gives Joe her unique voice that you find throughout all of them. It's why when you listen to an audiobook presentation, whether it's by Jim Dale or Stephen Fry, who I wish was available, that version, in the United States. I'd buy the audiobooks again just to have it. Anywho, 
it sounds like a narrator talking to you, telling the story, because Joe developed a very specific voice for herself as a writer that pervades the books outside of how Harry, Hermione, and the others think. And again, we could go through and we could try to break down Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett and the various other writers who, for my money, have a very distinct voice and a very distinct writing style. I'm currently reading A Hero Reborn, I'm sorry, Hero Born by Jin Young. And if you want to get ahead on the homework, as soon as we finish reading this new version from, from Macmillan, I'm going to be talking about it on the show because I love this book and I had read it in fan translation previously. And I missed a lot. I'm really enjoying this translation. It's very good. But they have a very distinct writing style, a very distinct voice. You can tell the person that you're writing. And it's because of the way they tell the story. What things are they interested in? What are they focused on? When you read a Conan story, you know it's a Robert E. Howard story because, well... He goes out of his way to point out the absurdity of polite society and the supremacy of the barbarian way. Just being blunt and honest and saying what you feel and not having to cover it under all of these courtly rules that, well, are in and of themselves ineffectual lies. And that's a big part of his writing style. It's a big part of his voice as a writer. So don't sweat the vocabulary. Don't sweat the exact grammar rules that make you you. In fact, some of the best writers found ways to break and twist and distort grammar in some of the most fascinating ways to lend their stories that uniqueness that we're striving for. But ask yourself, what do I care about in these settings? What do I care about in these characters? What do I care about in these events? And hone your craft at telling those aspects of the story. Because your interests are your interests. Those are something that are kind of unique to you. Because you'll notice things in ways that others don't. That will give your tales an amazing freshness. Because they're yours. Even if you retell a story that's been told a thousand times, it is uniquely yours because of the voicing. This is one of the reasons why Shakespeare is so famous. He didn't come up with a story for most, the vast majority of his plays. I think two of them are original. Most of them had pre preceding versions, but his have become canonically the either the best or the best known. And even if they're not, they are so distinct from the others that you can tell when you're reading Shakespeare and when you're not. And it's not just the these, the thous, and the stilted form of Elizabethan English that he used. He had a style. He had a flair. He had things that he was interested in. A complexity, the way he looked at the world, and how he wanted to tell those stories, even in the form of a comedy or a tragedy. That voice still rings through. Because you can see the things that he cares about. You can see the things that he loves, the things that catch his eye, that need to be brought out for the audience to see, to understand the world and everything that takes place in it. And that is what an author's voice truly is. So don't sweat your vocabulary. Don't sweat your grammar. Don't worry that you're just not good enough. 
as long as you're being true to yourself and writing the stories that you want to tell to the best of your ability. And remember, it's not just the writing. You can fix it in revision. You can fix it in editing. That is a thing that happens. Find your voice. You'll be surprised what's there. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did and you haven't already, please take a moment to rate this podcast in whatever app you're listening to me on. It really does help out a lot. If you have a dollar that you can pass my way, it really does help out a lot. In the show notes, you'll find a link to both my Patreon and the community support page, the listener support page. If you can do that, that is the main way that I support myself. And, well, it really would mean a lot to me because there's a lot of things that I want to do and a lot of money that I don't have, so I can't do it. (laughs) Thank you to everybody who's already helped by joining the project. If you don't have any money right now or you don't feel like giving, that's perfectly all right. But if you know somebody that you think might be into what we talk about here, then share this podcast with them. That helps out a lot too. If you have any questions or comments or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show, in those same show notes, you'll find a link to the voice message system. Keep it short, keep it clean so I can use it on the show. I would love to hear from you. Or you can hit me up on Instagram or Twitter. I am C.E. Dorset on both. That's Dorset with two T's. You can find links to those and everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. I just want to take a minute here at the end of the episode just to say thank you to everybody who's been with me this year. This year has really meant a lot to me. Um, I've been working with Anchor, as you can tell from the um, ad that's been playing during this podcast. And they have helped get me to get my confidence back. And you all are a big part of that. And it's not that my confidence is based off of the subscriber numbers, but in the deepest bowels of my depression that I went through, I didn't think I had a voice worth lifting. And every day, even if just one other person downloads this podcast, and it's more than that, but it it reminds me that that little voice in my head is a liar. And I just want to say thank you so very much. You mean the world to me. Until next time, don't forget, have the fun. Bye.